Thank you. I'm John. I'm an addict and alcoholic. Um, and uh, I got a uh, somebody, of course, tries to call me right uh, during this. I got a I got a call from uh, plus three, five, two uh, country codes this afternoon. And I thought, hey, is this Lithuania? Is this like one of those, uh, you know, uh, sales people or weird things? So then, you know, I don't recognize three digit country codes or whatever. And um yeah it was uh and i even forgot the guy's name but i guess we had before on zoom or whatever and and he had asked me before if i'd speak and then he said well somebody has a sore throat will you speak today so i'm sorry for you're getting me uh but uh yeah yeah so the, if you were looking for the lady with the, the other lady well she has a sore throat so yeah um i just passed a milestone in sobriety this past week uh, my sobriety's date is October the 5th of 1986, and that means 35 years. And that was kind of like, uh, I mean, that's that's a whole lifetime. And uh, there's an AA saying about that. I mean, how do you get to be an old timer in AA? You don't drink and you don't die. And so I, I haven't drunk, and, and that's amazing. Um, so yeah, so uh, just about uh, more about me. Um, I live in Paris. I've lived in France now in Paris for 30 years. And um, I've lived in many places, but I grew up in Amarillo, Texas, which I don't know if any of you have been to Texas or if you've been to the panhandle of Texas, but um, uh i always hated it uh i always hated it. i mean i mean i didn't I, not that i always hated it. I, as soon as i got out of there then i always hated it but uh, but um you know growing up as a kid there uh it's uh it was i, I remember being very bored as a child and i remember the uh you know the uh, i remember the excitement exciting things in childhood were for when we got air conditioning <laughs> because then I could just like stay in the house and read and have to go out in the fucking heat and uh you know or watch tv and the other thing was yeah we got cable tv and then we got like these old uh, tv shows and old movies and yeah I love to read and I loved watching tv and uh you know um when I uh but I, I, I wanted, I, I guess the first thing was, and there's some Californians here, my parents, we went on a, we went on a, a driving trip, a driving vacation to California. And I was like, wow, this is like kind of like way better. I don't know. It's like really interesting. And there's Disneyland and there's Universal Studios. And so there was that. And then I went on a, uh, when I was a kid, I also went uh, with a, uh, with a church choir. I went on a, uh, uh, I went on a summer trip to Canada, and believe me, if you grew up in Amarillo, Texas, Canada, I mean, that sounded like so exotic. Oh, my God, Canada, another country, you know. Um, but I had this has nothing really to do with alcoholism. Um, I, I had a pretty happy childhood. My parents loved me. Uh, I was not abused as a child. Uh, you know, I, I cannot at all blame my parents for becoming a drug addict and an alcoholic at all. Except I think there is a genetic connection because my both of my grandfathers were alcoholics. 
one of my uncles was an alcoholic. One of my cousins was an addicted gambler. Uh, and I'm trying to think, yeah, another one of my cousins was an alcoholic and I didn't have that many cousins to begin with. But, you know, it's like, okay, so if, if there's somebody that I need to blame, then I'll just blame genetics, right? Because I think that's, I think there's a big part of genetics in alcoholism. And maybe other people think differently. I don't know. Is a disease? I don't know. Uh, but I know that, you know, that definitely, definitely, I easily became a drug addict and alcoholic. And, you know, I was able, I was so happy when I graduated from high school. I went to uh, Austin, which uh, I, is still a, a place in America I, I love. Uh, it's, it's a really cool town. And, uh, you know, going there and going to university was like, wow. You know, and I think the first weekend that I was in Austin, I started smoking pot and I smoked pot also as much as I could get it. I love pot. I was a complete pothead. And, uh, you know, the drinking was already, I, I, you know, I didn't really start until I was 18. Uh, but when I went away to college, you know, there were keg parties and there were uh there was just stuff that you know i mean there, there were a lot of opportunities to get drunk and high and i did it as much as possible and if i look back on that period of my life uh, and examine it really closely i can see that um, alcohol and drugs were a problem from the very beginning really from the very beginning I tended to drink more than most people, um, you know, and I, I had issues like, I don't know, uh, I mean, I, I got a DUI when I was like uh, 21 or 20. I mean, I, uh, I, I, you know, the alcohol kind of made me just kind of crazy. And, and, you know, I, yeah, it just was not, I, I rarely just had just a little bit, you know, so it was, even though, you know, I mean, I graduated with, uh, with high honors in college. I, uh, you know, I was, I was still able to do a lot of things. I think, you know, when I, when I was young, I was, even though I got into some trouble, it was pretty well overlooked, you know, it was the late seventies, early eighties. People were like, you know, okay, DUI. Well, you know, you got a pet fine. It was not that big a deal. And my parents were pissed off. It's not that big a deal, you know, but um, things got, you know, probably a little bit worse. I, uh, I went away for a year to Brazil. Uh, I studied in Brazil for a year and, there um i you know there i also came out i'm gay and and uh being in rio de janeiro <laughs> you know, in that time you know it was it was a wild and fun and reckless place and and uh there were it was it was very hot sexually and brazilians are very hot <laughs> and so uh so yeah i had a, i had a fabulous time though and uh i came back i went to grad school um in grad school and also in South America, I was I was doing quite a bit of cocaine, uh, also whenever I could get it or afford it. Uh, and uh, that, I don't know if there were other, 
it it just sped things up, which is what cocaine does. And uh, so I had I kind of struggled in grad school, you know, because I was partying all the time, I guess. And uh, but I got out. I got a job with a major American company. Um, I was a Latin American specialist, and so they sent me to Taiwan. That's my first expat position, and it was a dream job. Um, I had a house and a car and a gardener and a swimming pool, and you know, I was like twenty-five years old, probably. Uh, and you know, it's like almost I had it all. But in Taiwan, in those days, you could get you could go to the pharmacy and get basically whatever you wanted, and I did, and. Um, I started taking speed over the counter. I mean, that I could get over the counter. It was, but it was regular. I don't know what it was, but it was, it was definitely strong. And um, I went to Hong Kong for kind of a weekend, and went to some chic disco, and 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 grabbed <laughs> grabbed some uh, Chinese uh, Hong Kong movie star's ass in the bar who wasn't gay and. He like kung fu'd me around the discotheque, and that was what was one terrible thing that happened. And you know, I um, I had I came back, and and oh, we did mushrooms as well, and and I started losing touch with reality. Right, <laughs> I was not sleeping, uh, and I started losing touch with reality. And I had what they called uh, what the psychiatrist said. I called a uh, an acute paranoid episode which you know i thought i thought that i thought that the chinese people were out to get me <laughs> and if you live in taiwan well you know that's that, that's pretty uh you know <laughs> that's everybody except for you know so i was just i was just nuts and i went into the office said strange things and and made like cryptic phone calls to my parents and people i knew and so they sent me back fairly quickly to the US and they sent me to a psychiatrist of who was associated with the company that I was working for. And after a few sessions with him, he told me, he said, you know, I can save your job for you, but if if you do, if I if but in order for me to do that, then you have to agree to go to alcoholism and, and drug uh drug addiction to a, to an inpatient treatment facility and, and they had one picked out in minnesota and stuff the famous place of treatment in those days and uh i was like you know fuck you man i don't need this job i can get another job um because i really thought you know okay i did fuck this up but you know there's no way i'm gonna do that and and, and i you know i said you know i can get another job i don't need this job and, you know, I was right. I did get another job. I did not go to treatment. Um, a friend of mine's dad um, was uh, president of a company in, in Holland, and they needed somebody for Latin America. So I got a job as a sales rep in Latin America. And, <laughs> you know, even before I got the this, even when I was went over there to take the job, we, went, we were going to go to a David Bowie concert. And the night before I went out to the gay bars in Hamburg and, uh, and, uh, I don't know how, but you know, I don't remember, but, but I broke my ankle. So I was, you know, instead of going to hear David Bowie, I listened to him high on pills and stuff in, in, you know, the university Kantenhaus in, uh, in Hamburg. 
And, uh, but I got the job and, uh, you know, I kept that job for a year and, uh, being in Latin America again, I, I lived in the Caribbean and the Dutch Island of Curacao. And, um, I was really becoming miserable because they had a very pure form of cocaine that we would smoke called bazooka or bazooka. I don't remember. And, and that, stuff kind of really made me worse if I could have gotten worse you know so uh yeah again I had to come back because they didn't renew my uh working contract in the end I mean they tried to help me but actually I got to Amsterdam which there you are another place another big drug capital of the 80s and uh I got there and and there I went on like probably my first like alcohol bender alcohol and hash you know and whatever else i could get and so there uh you know i it was funny because i i i i i was just again kind of losing touch with reality and i i didn't know what to do and you know, i was just drinking all the time and i finally told those friends of mine I said, oh my father has died i have to go back to you know to 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 america my father hadn't died i don't know why i made up that story but you know so i went back and uh yeah i moved in with my mom and and, and and stepfather and back in amarillo and i was so miserable and uh my parents after you know all these stories and shit they were like i think my mom started seeing a counselor you know i feel so sorry i think when i think about her life because her father was an alcoholic and i remember her telling stories about him and and then, you know, ended up her son also being an alcoholic. And, but anyway, she had, she had gotten some kind of uh, help or counseling or whatever. And, and so I, I decided at one point to go visit a friend of mine in New Mexico who had a ranch out there. And um, I, uh, I flipped a car. It was not even the first time I flipped a car, but I rolled this car. And uh, so when I got back from that little latest disaster, they, uh, my mom said, you are going to Alcoholics Anonymous and you are going to go every single day if you want to stay in this house. And I really didn't have a lot of choice. And I remember that first AA meeting and I absolutely detested it. I mean, it was a super smoke filled that that I remember. Um, of course, I smoked as well, so I don't guess that would have you know um that would have been an uncomfortable thing but i just the whole thing with those 12 steps written on the wall and the thing about god and and they were pretty nice though and and but i mean i would never have gone back for uh of my own accord but i did go that whole time uh that i was living there practically every day and and i did manage to stop i guess for that time mm, i but i didn't believe what they were saying because because i really you know had this idea that you know alcoholics are people who live under bridges and you know i have a master's degree i'm really smart i speak a lot of languages you know i'm too smart to be an alcoholic i think i thought that and you know, of course, I realized today that it has alcoholism has nothing to do with, uh, first of all, I'm probably not that smart. There are a lot of people smarter than me. And, 
that you know i can be as smart as i want to be but i cannot outsmart alcohol alcoholism um so after that well um i did get a job and i was able to move away from uh, i was able to, able to move away from uh, amarillo and uh and i mean it was uh I, I was glad to get this job and i but i immediately started drinking again of course i didn't go to aa when i had several bad trips again you know i don't know what it was but i guess something that they said in those meetings must have stuck with me so i decided of my own volition to go back to AA. And I remember one of the first meetings, I, I mean, I didn't really know about it, but I, I already knew that I disliked the whole, the whole part of it that was kind of like very churchy. It was super churchy. And I remember one of the meetings I went to, I, it was at a Baptist church and I had, you know, I had a bad experiences with Baptist churches before. And I remember I drove up to this Baptist church and there were all these people in the parking lot with their books, their big books in their hand. And, uh, and I left and, and, you know, I, I just said, well, maybe if there's one at a different church at an Episcopal church or something else, it will be better. But, and I ended up going to a meeting that was at a, in a hospital and it was it was uh it was people who'd been who were in inpatient treatment and and i met at that house at that meeting at one of those meetings i met my first friend in aa and his name was richard and he was like really cool i mean he was super good looking uh he was rich he'd been to the betty ford center which i was extremely impressed with this was his second treatment right and he was he was just a neat guy and funny and and you know so i kept going to aa in tulsa oklahoma and i even got a sponsor and you know who was nice uh he was a nice man and and he was very kind to me um and i think you know he was one of those like aa speaker types and he was like a radio personality and uh and uh, but he, but he was kind and and uh, but I remember he would say, uh, "My name's David and I'm an alcoholic and I'm sober. Uh, I'm sober thanks to the twelve steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, my higher power, and you people. You know, it's just like that. Same, you know that. Same, and I and I think about that guy because um, because he did help me in person and he, and I still have somewhere like he wrote me these." Uh, these typewritten letters and i still have saved those those letters uh, that, that he wrote to me but what what ended up happening was uh after one year the that that company they sent me to uh to europe and uh so i moved to germany and um my first best friend in aa richard uh i i i guess i lived in germany it was the first year i lived in germany i uh uh he had a house in uh he and his lover at a house in, in, in Key West. And so uh, I flew from Germany down to Key West, you know, to, to stay with them for like a week or something. And Richard picked me up at the airport and he was just dead drunk, you know, and I was like, wow, you know, because I had, 
I had kind of signed on to AA and my life had gotten better. And, you know, it was, you know, it was, I didn't really want to go back to drinking, you know, it, I did definitely, you know, there was no way I wanted to even then. You know? and, um, so that was a shock, you know, that he was drunk and, you know, a couple, it wasn't that much longer later. I don't remember now because this was all such a long time ago, but, you know, he kept drinking and he died. And, and I went to his funeral and it was like, wow, that was super sad. And that sponsor of mine, he killed himself. And that was not also that, also that much longer after he, he killed himself. And because I had also discovered that he was, he was getting high. He smoked a lot of pie. <laughs> so, so it was like, wow. I was like, you know, there, of course, they always said, you know, it's a progressive illness and, you know, it can be fatal and all this stuff. And at some point, you know, I took a, a seriously, I guess. So taking it seriously, I, but I, on the other hand, I never really worked like all the steps. Maybe I did it like right at the first, but you know, that writing that stuff down, maybe that was helpful. I don't remember. But um, in AA, English speaking, I went to German meetings. Uh, the people were super nice. Um, I had, you know, I made friends uh, with the people and they were not really very religious-y. They were just like fun people to hang around with. And uh, after living in Germany for four years, I, uh, I moved to Paris in, uh, in 91, right? So I think it makes 30 years here. And Paris, I, it was exciting. Um, there were movie stars here, you know, everybody goes. So they speaking, I, at least in, that, in the 90s, you know, these famous people were coming and they've written about it. So, you know, going to a meeting and like having Elton Johnson, I was like, whoa, wow, this is like really, this is neat. You know, so so I, I really liked Paris A in the beginning and I, I, you know, frequented pretty much all the meetings. But I guess at some point, probably after about four or five years, I mean, I, I was never at all a strong believer. Uh, I, I, I probably mouthed the higher power. In fact, I'm sure I mouthed the higher power stuff at first, but I don't think I ever really believed in it. And I traveled frequently and I traveled frequently also to, uh, because the headquarters of the company I was working for were in, in, in suburban New York city. So I went to meetings in New York city and I went to my first, uh, agnostics meeting and I was like, wow, you know, cause the people were just like, we don't believe any of this crap. They were very out. They were very uh just like not into aa dogma but they were still sober and i really really liked that so i think probably about 20 years ago we started an agnostic meeting in uh, in paris and that meeting is still going on today in fact we had a face-to-face -face, first face-to-face -face meeting um yesterday and you know i hadn't I, I tried to go to the Zoom meeting, but I got into arguments with people there and it was not good. So, so I, you know, uh, Zoom has changed everything, by the way, in AA and, and it, it, it's been, it's been great. So, so anyway, we started this agnostics meeting and, 
then it was like, Ooh, you know, we, we took the steps and took the word God out, you know, and that was like super revolutionary, but, and I was afraid they wouldn't let us do that. Like with the intergroup or something, but nobody really cared. And, and so we started that meeting. And then later on, we started free thinkers meeting. Uh, we started a, an Englishman and we started a bilingual one. And, and, and so if there is a, there's a saying, you know, that if you have a resentment about a meeting, take your coffee pot and your resentment and start another meeting. And that's also what's happened in the Zoom meetings. Uh, and and it's been really, really great for the secular AA movement. Um, but be, because there are a lot of us who are not believers, there are a lot of us who are, you know, hate AA dogma and hate just, you know, that whole part about that one has to swallow in traditional AA to some, to a greater or lesser degree, or at least, you know, pay the, you know, pay somehow homage to it by not speaking out against it. You know, um, you know, that for me, I'm just like really over that. Uh, so we had that meeting and then I guess the next really breakthrough in my sobriety was a woman called Dorothy in 2014 organized a secular AA convention in Santa Monica. So here we have another California thing. And I went and I went to that. I don't know how she got my number or whatever. I who remembers these things? But you know, I went and and probably because I was, you know, from Paris and they wanted to you know make it sound sophisticated or whatever. They were like, you know, got old Texas John to come and 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 they had me speak and everything. And I, you know, and it was really great. And I, most of it, it, it was great to, to encounter the people. I mean, one of the things that I really objected to at that, at that thing was they, they had asked this guy, uh, who was an Episcopal priest, to be the keynote speaker. And I thought, well, you know, it's supposed to be like, and, and, they, and they called it We Agnostics Convention, right? And those of you who've read that chapter, you know, it's like not a real, it's not real helpful to those of us who are non-believers. But the people were super cool. And there, you know, I, I met other atheists and other, other people who just didn't believe. And, and, when, and in my talk, I got up and said in, in, in that, you know, it was like, we agnostics convention. I was like, well, what about we agnostics and atheists? What about the atheists? Are you leaving us out? because you know, the whole thing now is, and even there was like let's be inclusive and everything and so they they changed the name at the next convention uh which we got to do in austin um and that was like right and they changed the name to we agnostics atheists and free thinkers that they called it waft in the end we agnostic atheists and free thinkers and the next convention was in Austin. I went to that too. And I was active. I was actually on the board of that. We argued a lot because some of the people wanted it. You know, they wanted to have, oh, this was the thing. Some of the people at that convention, they wanted to have the, the publisher or the editor. They wanted to have the editor of the grapevine as the keynote speaker. And if you've ever read that grapevine, I mean, it's just a lot of religious malarkey. So we had just really knock out fights over that. And we managed in the end to not have that woman be the keynote speaker that she did. She did speak at something else, but you know, some people were furious that we didn't do that, you know, cause a lot of people really like that 
connection to traditional AA. For me, I've severed it. You know, I do not go to regular AA meetings anymore. I tried for years and years to go, but the more transparent or the more out that I was about about it, you know, I just all the time, I just felt like, you know, I was being really aggressive. So you can't go to a third step meeting of regular AA and say, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in this shit and have positive feedback. It's just, it's too harsh. It's just too much for me. And, and, and I, I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't go anymore. Very rarely I go. The last traditional meeting I went to was in not this, not this latest summer, but the one before I, I was on a business trip and I was in Detroit and I don't know. I just really felt like I needed a meeting. And, and so I went and, and it was in downtown Detroit and, and that people were actually really, really nice. And it wasn't overly, it wasn't one of those, it was just like a, a discussion meeting or something. So it wasn't too, it, it wasn't bad at all. Of course they had a prayer at the end and, you know, I just, I don't really like saying I have no, I just don't like A to be churchy. I don't see why it has to be churchy and why we have to follow the, the dogma. So, so yeah, where am I in this story? Um, the, uh, yeah, the conventions, the Austin convention, and then the last, the, the last convention was uh, in Toronto and I was also active in, in participating in that. <laughs> it was slightly less contentious but it was still contentious because they asked the people from the grapevine to come and set up a booth you know and a lot of us we just don't go for that you know and and especially there's a guy called john h uh, from washington and, and he's even maybe more outspoken than i am uh but you know he he took him to task for that and uh so there was some contentiousness at that um but then the whole pandemic happened and um you know like i mentioned for me before the pandemic i had stopped going to regular AA meetings uh and we had started even before the toronto convention and the toronto convention was in 2018 i think uh even before that i had um you know um I, i'd stopped going to regular meetings but we had a zoom meeting and it was called it was called secular sunday and uh, I led that meeting up until a few months ago, um, and and it was it started out as like maybe six or eight people, and then the pandemic hit, and at the high point there were eighty people in that meeting, and and we read out of the Joe C book, which I, I think you've had Joe C speak here. Uh, we just read the meditation, and then you know everybody shared, and and just because I kind of thought that that book, even though I you know I don't like the readings every day, at least it's just something different to read out of, and. And it, it usually has, you know, people thinking about stuff and, and some readings are good and some readings are bad, but, you know, whatever. And we use that. So then, the, yeah, as, as I said, the pandemic, the pandemic hit, we started, uh, we started a new meeting on Saturdays in Paris and, and it's still going. It's at, it's at 12 o'clock and it's on the paris.org website, aaparis.org, if, if you guys are interested in that's a really good meeting at 12 noon Paris time. It's a lot of people, a lot of British people come to that. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, 
what else can I say? I've gone on already. It's like over 30 minutes and, and I, you know, I start running out of things to say, but uh, I have a good life because I don't drink and do drugs. If I, if I had started drinking or using drugs, then I wouldn't have the good life I had. And, you know, if there's, I actually, oh yeah, I was writing down things. I wrote down 12 things, only maybe I didn't get all the way to 12. 12 things I learned in AI. Um, I was also going to set up my computer and then I realized it was already almost seven o'clock. So I'm on my phone still. 12 things I learned in AA. The, the first thing about AA is that, uh, and you notice I picked the number 12, you know, so it's because so it's, it's a magic number in AA. Um, the, the the first thing is you know i just and, and this is the this is the whole premise of aa is that you know i cannot drink normally and if i pick up a drink it's gonna be if i did if i had pick up a drink or if i do pick up a drink uh you know it could be it would be catastrophic because you hang around like me 35 fucking years in aa and you see i really think in many ways i've learned more from the people who have slipped, who have continued to slip, who have died, who have, you know, and I, I think of this guy, there was like a beautiful guy who was coming to Paris. I, he was so good looking. And I was like, and he was so nice. And he was like, a, he was a pastry chef. And he like, he had a slip and came back and he, you know, like, fell out of a window and came he was in a body cast and a neck brace and i thought fuck you know that that's exactly what would happen to me if i if i picked up again you know, just i i just like go completely fucking nuts so that's the number one thing is like not to pick up a drink you know and and you know life without a drink it's it's good but it can also be bad it can be horrible it can be like you know shit does happen this is number two but it's still life, you know, it's still reality. And if there's anything that I've learned is that I cannot escape reality. I mean, okay, momentarily, yes. But, uh, you know, alcohol and drugs, reality will always come, always came back and will always come back to slap me in the face. Um, you know, it's just cannot be escaped. So yeah, that was two, three. Um, <laughs> I can't even read my own writing now. I had to go to the, uh, I had to go to the eye doctor today, and and because uh, I had something wrong with my eye, it was horrible. Uh, but anyway, um, so much for the public health system here. Uh, well, I guess it was something about one day at a time, and it to try and stay, stay in the present stay in the day that's what helps me um but of course i can't always do that you know but not getting super obsessed with what could happen what can happen what might happen you know i have to like try and be and live in the present it's just like that's a helpful thing that i think i'm gonna somewhere um ah, number four is avoid a, a gurus you know, I, uh, those people and, 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 and I think that's, that's also why I have to go back for me. I have to avoid a tra traditional AA because the gurus are there. They know the right way and it's the steps and you have to work the steps in order. And, 
you know, if you don't, you're going to be on a dry drunk. And, and it's all these things that we hear in regular AA, which I don't really think those things are, are that fucking true. I don't really believe in a dry drunk. I get into bad moods, but, you know, so does everybody. You know, I don't believe that unless I pick up a drink or a drug. I don't, you know, a dry drunk for me, just, okay, I understand the expression, but I don't, I don't believe in that stuff. And I don't believe that there's one particular portion of sobriety or whatever you want to call it that is more important than others i do not believe that 12 steps are the answer to my life no more than i believe that there is one god no more than i believe i was in Turin this week and uh we went to the uh we went to we went this uh, great employee this guy works on my team he took us around Turin and showed us everything and of course we have to make the obligatory stop at the church where the shroud of Turin is of course they don't they don't have it on on exposed they have like only life whatever size big pictures of it and stuff and this church and everything and the guy was going on about yes and you know they haven't been able to disprove it or prove it whatever and then he's going well you know but we know that you know from this from the accounts of Jesus life that the the image on here really looks like what Jesus looked like and I was like wait a fucking minute, you know, John Maria, quit, quit giving us this crap. You know, I just couldn't take it anymore. No, 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 there's no physical description of Jesus. We don't know if he existed. Uh, and he got really pissed off, but, you know, I couldn't help it. So I don't know why I digressed to that, but that was, that was my week, my week in touring. Uh, okay, but avoid AA gurus and, uh, and, and avoid those people in traditional AA. That's, that's my solution. Number five of my things learned is work out a lot, get a lot of exercise, you know, do what I have to do, whatever I can to stay in good condition. What AA says you have to say in good spiritual condition, just take out for me the word spiritual and I have to try and stay in good condition. Uh, and I'm like going on like really a lot tonight. Uh, so I don't know, but I should, I should stop soon, but anyway, work out a lot. Um, oh, one I'm already mentioned is about, you know, taking the coffee pot and the resentment and start another meeting. Zoom has been so fantastic. I've, I've seen and met so many fantastic people in these Zoom meetings and it's, it's just like a whole new thing. However, I can't have that be exclusive, an exclusive way. And that's why I was really glad to go back to a face-to-face -face meeting. We had face-to-face -face meetings um, in Italy and, 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 and here in Paris this week for work. And it's, you know, the, the, the virtual connection, whatever we're calling it, is, is good, but it's still not as good as meeting people face-to-face -face and having coffee. And there's just a whole, that, that's, that's, that's important. So I'll continue to do the Zoom meetings, that's for sure. But, but I'll, I also want to continue to go to, to, to when I find good meetings. Um, oh, the other thing I learned, I don't know if I learned this from A or, um, or maybe I'm, my mom used to always say this, which is, uh, familiarity breeds contempt, you know, and, and I really believe that because, it, you know, I've gotten in so many arguments with people in AA and so much stuff has happened and, but I just got to remember that. I mean, that's some ways the zoom meetings are better because you don't become so familiar with the people, um, I mean, there's, there's been some trouble in some of the Zoom meetings anyway, you know, but, uh, but not as much because you don't, I mean, the connection is 
it's somehow less intense. And you can just, if you don't like somebody, you can just kind of turn them off or turn off the camera or whatever. So, but realizing that, you know, I, I want to have good relationships with other people and to repair relationships. Sometimes I have to be less harsh, less outspoken, less, less me, you know, and just like, okay you know i could say accept which is a really big a word accept other people the way they are and i'm not very good about doing that you know um another thing i have on the list is that uh that restraint is good and i'm i'm not the most restrained person but sometimes it can just be way better not to say anything you know i i have learned that in life and maybe an AA, and of course the A expression is restraint of tongue and pen, you know. Yeah, I've regretted, you know, I got into big arguments with with a woman who I sponsored about, you know, she did a really nasty thing to somebody else. And it, it just got too involved and too, you know, and I should have been a little more restrained. And and this past year, I, I really let somebody else just have it, you know, and, and I could have been a little less restrained. So that's, you know, I've, I've, I learn these things and I forget them and I think, oh, yeah, well, I should have done better. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, and this is almost the last one. Um, <laughs> alcohol was my problem. Okay. I do not believe this when people say alcohol was a symptom of my problem alcohol and drugs were my problem of course i have other problems of course you know there's other stuff going on but you know until and and this therapist told me that back in 1981 he's like you know until you have a lot of problems because that was that was what i was telling him i was telling him you know you know um i'm drinking because i have this problem and i don't really i don't know what it is or i don't i don't know what i told the guy it was obviously just a fucking excuse but I, you know, and he's like, well, yes, you have a lot of problems, but you can't solve any of your other problems as long as you're drinking and using drugs. So for me, the biggest problems I ever had in my life were alcohol and drugs. And if I don't use those things, I can work on my other problems. Oh, yeah. I also like to turn around uh, one of the AA slogans, which is, uh, so what I like to say is I have to, I have to. I have to follow principle. I have to follow. I can never even say it backwards. It was so learned. Um, I have to follow personalities over principles. It's the personalities here who have helped me. It's the personalities, the people I talk to, the people I like, the people I can get along with. Maybe even some of the ones that I haven't liked who have taught me stuff. I don't really have that many principles. Sorry, and maybe I, you know, of course, I mean, of course, I do have some principles, but. But, you know, it's like I can't go to AA meetings where people are, you know, giving me a load of shit about higher power, and this step. And I just, you know, I'm not hearing that. I am not having it anymore. And it, but it's meetings like this. And like, I love the thing you guys said, well, you know, we don't have a timer. We go, it goes on a while, you know, and, and I've seen like in regular AA, they use that timer thing. It's just like, they use the timer thing. They use the thing like, uh, what's the other one? We talked about it today in another meeting I went to was uh, outside issues. Oh, you shouldn't talk about outside issues. And I've seen so many people shut down whether they talked about Trump or whether they talked about drugs or whether they talked about whatever it is. 
I've been to I've been to several regular meetings where they just shut the person down. It's like that's an outside issue. You can't talk about that. Drugs. That's an outside issue. You shouldn't talk about drugs. Well, you know, fuck you, man. I mean, I just I just there aren't outside issues, are there? I mean, really? Is it if 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 I'm here and whatever whatever affects me as a as a person in recovery. If I, I really feel like, you know, I should, whatever you say in five minutes, as long as I don't, or and the only time I've ever shut people down anyway is when, when they become really aggressive towards somebody else in the meeting. And, and that happens, it's only happened in the whole Zoom time. It happened once, maybe twice, where I had to like cut somebody off, you know? So I try not to do that. And I've talked way too long, you know, so I talked over 40 minutes and, and that's definitely enough out of me. Um, I, I hope you guys uh, stay sober. Don't pick up the first drink, no matter what happens. And, and life, if it's not good now, it'll get better. It'll also get worse. Then it'll get better again. So that's, uh, that's AA and sober life, according to John tonight. tonight. So Thanks for asking me to speak and, and thanks for listening all this time.